Well, good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky to be joined for the second time, actually, on the podcast, but but uh, in less of a frantic setting. But uh, Michael Lewis from Claim Technology. Uh, Michael, welcome. How are you? I'm very well, and it's lovely to join you on this second podcast. Yeah, it's not, it's not many people that we get back, but um, I, think, I think you were certainly the first person to kind of host the podcast with me live so that was that was quite an unusual experience for us but um that's when we were at claims village which we will talk about later um oh, yeah. but this so i'm very pri- yes i'm very privileged to earn a couple of distinctions then <laughs> you are you are definitely a couple of firsts definitely a couple of firsts but um this one is very much about you and your your, your business claim technology so before we dive in um just give us the uh, elevator pitch the the version of what claim technology does if you would please michael Yeah, so uh, Claim Technologies no-code, low-code tools help insurers uh, and third-party administrators uh, transform their claim processes um, in the cloud and move from being very product-centric experiences to creating truly customer-centric experiences. Fantastic, fantastic, and and we know we know Claims is a is a is a soft spot of mine on the podcast, Um, and, and I think a really important part to start on. Um, and this is from our mutual friend Oded from uh, Five Sigma. Um, when I was discussing with him about claims and claims technology with the insurtech space, he he thought it was important to start with defining a claim and what we include within that, um, what we include within claims tech, and then what we think sits outside of that. Um, and I didn't understand what he meant to start with. Then I thought it is actually important because there's a whole value chain of things which involve claims. So. Let let me pass over to you being the expert. How how do you define claim in the context of you know the claim technology world? So I think Oded is right. There are many different types of claims, which is important when coming to choose a particular claims management system vendor like like Five Sigma. Um, I'll give you my definition of a claim, and I, I haven't heard it explained in this way, but it's I feel the framework is useful. I think there are those claims where decision is made by a contract. So so take parametric claims, for example, um, travel or agriculture. Um, If a flight is delayed contractually, your claim will be settled instantly. Uh, If there's a a series of weather events over a period of time, uh, you'll receive an instant payout. The second type of claim is where the decision on resolving the claim is actually made by the customer. Now, you see this a lot with um, health and pet claims, for example. So your pet's injured, you need to take your pet to the vet, and you decide on the appropriate course of treatment, and then you seek an expense reimbursement. That's the second type of claim. And then I think you have another type of claim where the decision on whether you're covered and uh, how the you know, what the resolution is, is actually made by a claims handler. Uh, and an example there would be either a home or, or a motor claim. Now, why do I describe it in terms of who's making the decision, whether it's the contract, the customer, or the, um, or the employee, the insurance employee? And the reason for that is because I think it's actually quite a helpful way to reimagine claims. So, for example, I do believe that more and more claims should be parametric in nature because it's a very simple value exchange uh, that customers value. 
I think if you describe a dental or a pet claim as a, an expense reimbursement, I think we do ourselves a disservice because you're simply then thinking about how you can expense more quickly. Whereas actually, I really love the idea of um, how we might be able to provide coverage at the point of decision or uh, payment and liquidity at the point of treatment in order to create better outcomes. So imagine that you know, with your pet, you might sort of have the option of either uh, providing a course of uh, antibiotics or, or particular surgery, and you might actually choose a worse outcome for your pet um, because you simply can't afford or you don't know whether the claim will be covered. So I think it's helpful to, to sort of, you know, to, to reimagine, we can reimagine uh, those types of claims. And I think with regards to those claims where the decision is made by a, uh, an insurance employee, where well, we can start to reimagine how decisions might be made, um, let's say by AI, and how we might work towards creating a zero touch claim. I think claims, and uh, there's so much of what I agree with what you just said, particularly on the parametric side. And, and, and I, think, I think about parametric payments quite a lot because most people, and I think most people's experience of insurance when they've made a claim, and this is usually down to them not understanding their policy and their policy wording. It's them not understanding the insurance process. It's them not remembering what excess they've got. A lot of that kind of, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite often defending insurance against my friends who have got some sort of car claim or something. But people end up usually getting a payment which is less than they expected or something. And I, and I think where parametrics is so interesting is that something bad has happened, a negative experience has happened, I've accident with my car or I've been burgled or all I really want is some sort of monetary value to come back to me and to move on with my life as quickly as possible. And I think most customers are the same. Um, once you get into a process which is elongated and, and complex and usually with language you don't understand, with a process you don't understand, you can't win even if you do, if you're the best claims handling business in, I don't know, the, the house insurance world. As a customer, if I've never claimed before, I won't know. And I've also got no value that I can judge against. So if it takes eight weeks for one insurance carrier and it takes four weeks for another, I'm not grateful that it's you know twice as quick. I, I'm I'm just thinking that's a really slow process. So I think parametric's got a huge amount to add. Um whether we get kind of comfortable with it from an insurance perspective is is interesting. Have you been surprised about the kind of rise of um parametric um either by it being too slow or or, or there does seem to be a bit of, sort of growing interest in it um no no i haven't I, uh, because i think fundamentally the the product um delivers on the the fundamental promise of of insurance um mm. it's simple enough and bite-sized uh you know uh, enough to to be able to understand what essentially you're paying for. I, I think the difficulty with traditional insurance and the way I've described it in the past is insurers don't know what they've sold and customers don't know what they've bought. Um, yeah. And therefore you only really find that, you only, you know, that only really comes to a head at the, at the point of claim. Um, I, I would say that um, parametric, we should definitely be striving to create more parametric style um, products uh, and I've often wondered why we you know 
perhaps I couldn't buy just £3,000 worth of cover for my motor vehicle. So if an assessment event happens, I just get an automatic payout. Um, but I, I think more than that, I think, you know, what we should be looking to do is actually prevent claims from happening in the first place. And that's where um, the use of sensors um, uh, and other technologies is, is helping to prevent the claim because nobody wants to make a claim. We all, we'd, we'd all prefer if the claim never happened in the first place. Um, the next best thing is then to be able to instantly pay the claim if the event does occur and parametric calls into that camp. And I think at claim technology, what we're looking at doing is solving the, the other end of the, the complexity spectrum, which is what would it take to instantly resolve a claim in seconds with zero touch, um, regardless of the level of complexity on that claim. And, and that's really what, um, what we're all about. What are the, um, is there specific lines of businesses that, that you've targeted or is it kind of much more malleable than that? Where, where are the kind of um, strengths and limitations within the, the claims technology platform? Well, to a large extent, I think we follow the, the market. So uh, most, Claims transformation has started with the um, low value, um, high volume market, personal lines market. Mm -hmm. um, so that's obviously where we, we've started in motor and in home. Um, we're now seeing more and more work in, in pet space uh, and health. Um, so from a technology perspective, we've always sought to be agnostic um, and really sort of think about what is the type of capability you need to be able to instantly resolve a claim. And we call this an e-resolution of loss or e-roll. Um, whereas a lot of, I think the industry is still sort of very much thinking in terms of ethanol or enol, which is just very much just uh, digitizing the first step of an insurer-centric process, as opposed to sort of looking at the, you know, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve from the customer? Yeah. Working yeah. backwards, how could we, what's stopping us from being able to resolve that claim in seconds? Mm, mm. Yeah, that's, that's the... <laughs> It's very much my experience of um, claims processes quite recently. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had a couple of claims I've had to put through and notification has been really efficient. <laughs> it's just everything that comes after it has been has been less so. Um, you know, I was half expecting to receive a check from one insurer and, and, and apparently some people still do that, which is staggering. I wouldn't even know what to do with one. Um, what is it? it brings me on to my kind of next question and and it's a bit of a loaded dice for someone that works in the space but but i'm really really surprised um how under invested the claims technology space seems to be i mean we talk about it being the shop window um can we really call it that if we neglect it um so i suppose there's two parts to that whether you agree it's been under invested or not and and you know, i suppose what do you think that says about the insurance industry well it is definitely there definitely is an un, um i feel there is a, an underinvestment or that the the distribution of insurance the sale of insurance has taken priority over claims insurance um you know maybe, you know across all sectors you know companies will compete on on price or product and i think insurance is one of those products that is competing most on price um, insurance is a grudge purchase, um, and uh, it's not dissimilar to, I suppose, the airline model, where um, you know there's a bit of a race to the bottom in terms of price. And, and like the airline industry, um, there are good, there are aggregators in the market where it's very clear as to what the price is, uh, and therefore you you end up sort of with this race to the bottom. Now, 
that has consequences, I think, for the industry. Now, the airline industry, I think, has taken this race to the bottom and turned it to its advantage. So, for example, EasyJet and Ryanair, Wizz Air, they very much use this to create a market. So you as, you know, we as customers can imagine taking quite a few £10 flights, can't we, over the course of, of a year. So it's created a market. Um, it also, they've created a product that's very easy to consume. And they've also created a business where they're creating lots of revenue from ancillary sort of income streams, whether it's sort of, you know, uh, food on the flight or, or uh, book, uh, hotel bookings which is all incredibly positive, but actually in the insurance space, I think this race to the bottom is sort of, um, we haven't had that. Uh, and so what we've found is that more and more benefits have take, been taken out of the product, in, um, uh, which actually then contributes to insurance being less valuable in the minds of, of customers. Mm -hmm. uh, it creates an environment where uh, insurers are incentivized behaviorally to reject as many claims as possible. So it's, it's staggering to think that when you and I buy home insurance and there's a storm, 70% of the time, our claim for a broken fence or broken roof chaos will be will be automatically rejected. Um, there's no incentive behaviorally for an insurer to speed up a, a claims process or make it easier because that would contribute to an increase in, in cost. And so um, there's no real incentive to solve, you know, make that experience better. And, but then if the claims that are paid Essentially, I think insurers tend to you know, shift responsibility for reducing the cost of the claim by moving this onto a TPA uh, who then sort of you know, start to de-skill um, the, the model. Now, I'm, I'm sort of painting what, you know, what I think is quite a dismal picture of the, the insurance industry and, and sort of how it's developed over time. And I don't mean to do a disservice to any insurers who genuinely have a positive attitude of wanting to settle claims quickly and and I think the majority of insurers now you know would like you know see themselves in that space but I do think my sort of dismal picture of the industry is is a more honest assessment of where the industry is at and I, I think it's a more honest assessment than the adverts you see in the tube stations of 97 percent of claims being being paid and I think unless we're honest about ourselves as an industry, it's very hard to become a better version of yeah. ourselves. And um, but there is hope. I I remember, and sort of your question reminds me that I, I remember many years ago. I I, I spent some time in uh, Tesco's head office in Chesant, uh, in the room next to the CEO. And uh, one of the things that Tesco said to me was that they're a business that have margins of four percent. Uh, that's that's standard in the in the retail grocery industry, and they said what that means is that um, we've got a choice. Uh, for every every pound we are able to take out of our business in terms of cost, is equivalent to us uh, selling not needing to sell an additional twenty five pounds of mm -hmm. of groceries, and it's far harder to sell twenty five pounds of groceries and actually take a pound out of the business. And I and I feel that model from you know, we have similar challenges in the industry around margins, uh, particularly in, in motor and, and home. And it kind of almost gives me sort of uh, makes me feel like that's a, we can take inspiration from that uh, and look at how we can intelligently take out cost from uh, the claims process by reimagining um, the, the process, by 
uh, reimagining the experience and creating a model that leads to improved outcomes for all, but at lower cost. Um, but it's going to take some creativity, imagination, and, and will. I, I suppose one of the big challenges is is coming back to your airline point is that one there isn't as many ancillary services that we can build, but also there's no ancillary interactions that we can build or, or we haven't so if your only experience is at the claim stage and we're saying universally the commoditization and and the kind of downward pressure on on price means that we are stripping the bones out of the out of good policies and and, and we're left with probably not, not a great insurance product then your only experience is going to be the end of the at the, at the claims stage and I suppose if you there's there's not a relationship built, you can't justify um, higher prices for high quality service, or, or it's very difficult because you'd have to you'd have to get insurers customers to care, and and whether they care is is a really really interesting point. Um, but it, yeah, I mean it's it's very hard to create because we're in this sort of spiral to the bottom. Um, mm. Customers don't care about insurance, and I think we fool ourselves if we if we think they do. Um, it's why um, I've always been a big fan of the idea of embedded insurance, the idea that rather than make insurance a conscious buy, we need to have insurance invisibly embedded inside the things, other things we buy. Um, so, um, for example, you know, why doesn't buildings insurance um, or contents insurance just come with my mortgage payments, um, you know, et cetera. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of ways in which you could embed uh, insurance into other transaction flows. And to me, that's that's where we should head. Um, by doing that, we probably enable insurance to become more ubiquitous and mm. to, to really um, enable commerce globally and it just becomes a thing you know just like you know transactions via apps and you know money flying all over through different ways it, you know, we need to make it much more invisible um, um mm. I, I i completely agree i think you know if you if you said to me all the insurance policies that i have if you could make them all embedded you could probably make all of them embedded parametric products and I would be a very happy man. And 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 we're speaking as people that are in the industry. And uh, you know, I always think about this that when I get frustrated renewing my insurance and thinking, well, I've got a vested interest in this industry, and I'm still you know not not involved in it. Yeah. So, um, I, wanted I, to think, ask, I think sorry, I was going to say I was going to say Alex, uh, you know, we tend to buy more of things that we value, and of mm. course, with insurance, we're not encouraged to use it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and as I say, so. Um, that's the problem. If we could somehow create a product that we could encourage somebody to use and get value from, we'd probably want to buy more of it. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Because I think most of it's still that grudge purchase thing. Um, and, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. There's, there's many ways that you could interact with me as a customer where I would value my insurance more. And whether it's my car or whether it's kind of travel, um, you know, being more proactive. Uh, you know, the, the great example is, is is airline travel. I mean, parametric kind of solves this, but having travel insurance and my travel in, my travel knows that I'm on a flight 
and that flight's been cancelled you know the idea that i would have to then phone a center is just is just crazy so proactively addressing that i know that's what parametric triggers would do but um that sort of thing and thinking about the customer in that in that instance i think is important um in fact i wanted to jump to that is that when we when you think we've talked about customers about people that are buying insurance but when you think about it from your business because you're a you're, you know your b2b business who do you think of when you think about customer and you think about claims technology are you talking about the person buying the insurance or are you thinking about the people buying your technology or how do you kind of square that circle in terms of kind of your buyer persona and your who is your ultimate customer well, I mean, as a B2B SaaS vendor, our, our customer is uh, typically an insurer, um, yeah. an MGA, uh, a TPA, third-party administrator, um, who are looking to transform their insurance processes in the cloud as a wrapper on top of their legacy systems. Um, but we're very much a B2B to C business in the sense that we know that what our customers are using our technology for seeking to do is, is, is ultimately create incredible experiences for their customer. Um, and so we, you know, that sort of guides us um, a lot in terms of, you know, how can we support that objective um, and be an enabling, um, an enabler to onboarding technology that uh, that drives better customer outcomes. When you're working with partners, um, and there's a few different partners there, um, how bespoke can they be with you? And I suppose what I'm interested in is, are there any of your customers that have been really innovative and, and sort of brought a new idea and that, that particularly sticks with you and go, well, we'd like to do this to delight our customer. Um, is there innovation thinking in this claims process that we're, we're seeing with your customers? Well, it, it definitely um, is. I, mean, I think in the, in the past, you know, when you're working with legacy technology, you don't really have a blank slate. So mm. it's hard to reimagine uh, the process from start to finish um, from a customer perspective. Um, but of course, if you take the, the leap of faith that you can actually create that end-to-end -end process in the cloud rather mm -hmm. than in your legacy system, you suddenly acquire that mm -hmm. blank um, that blank slate. And so uh, using our no-code, low-code tools, um, customers like the Admiral Group, um, they announced that they'd selected our platform to help them create the motor industry's first zero-touch claim. Um, and they can do that because they can build that um, entirely in, in the cloud and plug in dozens of different insurtech vendor capabilities and stitch them together um, to create the experience they're trying to create. Now, um, and, and that's that's very much a you know a journey. So platform users and uh, use our cloud to uh, tactically achieve some wins, um, so solve today's pain points. Um, but actually move strategically to being able to sort of reduce their dependency on legacy systems and uh, do more in the cloud and future-proof a lot of their other technology investments because by using a cloud-based platform, they're no longer having to integrate directly with mm. other insure techs and maintain those integrations, which means if, 
if you know if one of those insurtechs is no longer in business or a different service comes along an ai service that comes along that is better they can simply turn one tap off and turn one tap on and it gives them that you know superb amount of agility to uh to, to remain current yeah, I was going to ask you about cloud technology, and this kind of links back to a conversation that we had with um, Tim at, um, in Standa, um, that they're seeing a lot of their customers sort of essentially draw a line in the sand and say, right, every policy sold beyond this point is is on this new system. Um, are you seeing similar kind of definitions in terms of, right, right everyone going forward will have this claims experience? And that kind of allows you to kind of evolve away from your legacy platform. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a common approach, isn't it, in the insurance industry? Is that you always sort of run off um, a book and then ramp up um, on a new system? Um, definitely makes sense um, to do so um, with products like Instanda, where you can focus on on premium rather than writing, you know, writing premium rather than writing code. Um, and sort of use in standard to very quickly launch new uh, new product rings that you just couldn't do um, uh, using legacy. Um, for us in the claims uh, world, it's obviously very hard to, uh, we, we're not seeking and we don't think that uh, companies should migrate away from their you know, legacy systems. I mean, you know, they've spent tens of millions of pounds investing in those systems of record, but at the same time, they're not doing what they need to do. Uh, and which is, yeah, and insurers can't fundamentally flip their models in the way they'd like to. And that's what cloud technology and our cloud platform offers, is that ability to use the cloud as a wrapper on top of legacy uh, without need to replace legacy. So you just decrease your dependency on it over time. Mm -hmm. I wanted to change gears slightly and ask you about um, the, the pandemic, because right. uh, the sort of zero touch claims piece, you know, I used to work in claims and the you know, first couple of things we'd do is we'd send out an adjuster and that wasn't possible anymore. Um, did, did we see a particular spike in the level of interest? Or do we see people kind of engaging more with the technology when perhaps they'd been resistant? Was 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 there anything that sort of came out of that experience for you? Uh, there was. I mean, I think as a as a business, we've always been very true to our vision. Um, which is to power the um, instant claims resolution um, and our mission of improving the lives, initial mission of improving the lives of 1 million customers in the UK. I think where the pandemic changed things was it allowed us to pause. Um, and at the time, as a B2B SaaS uh, vendor, we could see, we saw firsthand just how challenging it was to try to gain adoption as an insurtech um, in the market. And we knew that all of the other B2B SaaS vendors in the market were struggling with the same sales cycle. Mm -hmm. And so it gave me the chance really to think deeply about why the current model wasn't working and why good insurtechs weren't having more success. And I remember I was, I was given a book by a former colleague of ours at um, Clean Technology, Chris Jones, who was head of digital at Google and Wonga, um, as well as uh, a stint at Chubb. And it was called The Platform Revolution. And it, it talked about how entire industries had been transformed by the idea of somebody coming into the market and creating a, a platform 
uh, and positive network effects by being able to create a market of you know, large pool of buyers and, and large pool of, of uh, vendors. So take uh, Airbnb in, in the hospitality business or take Uber in the transportation sector. Um, huge changes to, and creating win-win outcomes. Um, and pla platform models were, were sort of you know, eating whole industries. And I wondered why we, how that might apply itself in the, in the insurance space. And that was really the genesis of us creating an insurtech marketplace, uh, which was the idea that we could build and make it easier for all insurtech buyers, the insurers and the MGAs, and to be able to access and uh, evaluate and deploy and combine uh, different insurtech vendors and in so doing we would be able to make it easier for those insurtech vendors to to go to market and that's been a wonderfully successful model um, and uh, companies like um, yeah, they go by admiral have very much sort of embraced that as part of their zero touch claim strategy by turning to our marketplace to say i've got this need who in the marketplace can solve this now uh, let's let's integrate it so it's it's radically disrupted I think um, both the way in which insurtechs are now working together to deliver capability um, and how that's sold into insurance companies as a combined solution um, rather than see themselves as just trying to battle alone. Yeah, you've always intrigued me with this, Michael, because you, I remember the first conversation that we had. Um, um, I think our good friend Mark introduced this actually, but um, you said yes, Mark you don't have, yeah, that's right, that's that's wasn't it? And um, he said um, you don't have competitors, you have collaborators, um, and yes, and yes. and you just obviously walked us through that marketplace model now. But how easy was that to achieve? Because surely there's there's some business culture that goes with even people that you know you've got complementary technology with, which is. It's kind of countercultural to kind of work together. Mm. Um, was there any pushback? How, how do you sort of start building that kind of sense of community? Well, I think it, I, I, it's a super interesting topic. I, I think we as humans have been hardwired over millions of years um, to actually think in terms of competition mm. um, and preservation. Um, and that translates into sort of how we interact in business. Um, but there is another way of thinking about or approaching life, which is uh, we as humans for millions of years have uh, been collaborating together too. And I am intrigued by viewing the world from a lens of collaboration as opposed to competition. Um, and once you open yourself to that and you see everybody else as potentially somebody you could collaborate with, I think it opens up opportunities that would never have existed otherwise. And we're seeing a huge amount of success by combining or having different insurtechs working together and creating stronger value propositions. So we ourselves act as a wrapper around other insurtechs, which creates a a much stronger product and value proposition. It's easy to consume. Uh, there's a better business case and it's it's easier to buy. But we're also co-creating products with, with other insurtechs that deliver solutions into the market. And um, it, it's a wonderful way, I think, to look at life, it, it, to sort of never, to really not think in terms of competition and your sale 
because everybody likes to think they collaborate and is open to collaboration. The reality is it doesn't happen mm. in, the, in the industry. You know, everybody sort of says, well, yes, if we find our first customer, that'd be great, blah, 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 and nothing ever happens. Uh, and, and because really people are only ever thinking in terms of competition, they're only ever thinking about, well, I just need to secure my sale because if I have two people's sales, it's going to be more complicated. And actually, I think the opposite. No, actually, if we come together and we have a very strong value proposition, it actually makes it easier to yeah. sell that in the market. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I think uniquely in the, um, in the industry and uniquely probably for any marketplace, we, we don't monetize our tech partners. So we don't act as a reseller. Uh, we don't take a cut of, you know, if we introduce, you know, an insurtech to somebody. Um, and the reason for that is because if you are jointly creating product, um, effectively, you can both go to market successfully at the same time with your own price points and margins intact um, and uh, sell more often. And so there's really no need for us to monetize our, our tech partners. You know, we both, you know, it's the strength of us coming together um and the fees we can charge for that combined product that uh, is uh um you know, is easy to take to market yeah i mean it makes sense to me i mean turning up with a 360 solution i mean i i think that in my space i've been you know i've been in the search recruitment space for 17 years and and i think some people are quite surprised when they come to me and and i'll say no that's that's not me but here's two people i trust that do that because we've we've all got our part to play and 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 I know people that are very good at very specific parts of the industry and that specific area and 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 I'm, you're I think even from a kind of your end customer you know I want to sell into x insurance company if they're bringing me a solution which I which I don't have then you're still the kind of trusted advisor because you've steered them in the right direction and I, I think it works in much the same way in the way that you've put a marketplace together but the advantageous part of what you've done is that you can actually turn up with a mutual solution of a mutual product that you've collaborated on as well so there's that, yeah, that there's that richness that's um, right and, I, and one of the things we do is is we we don't um and how our model is different is of course we bring a lot of technology of our own but that technology is usually to enable and to glue other mm -hmm. insurtechs together as we act as the, the glue um but what we're able to do is because we're not trying to solve everything and we're not trying to push ourselves onto an insurance buyer, we actually can really position ourselves as a trusted advisor and partner to an insurance company to help them understand the art of the possible and what technology is out there, how it works, how you can combine it together um, and who they should be speaking to uh, in the market that is a good fit for their business and their objectives. Um, uh, so it's a wonderful, I mean, it's a wonderful to be able to sort of not just provide technology, but actually to sort of be able to provide advice and find the right technology uh, partners for, for insurers. Mm. And you did a really visible uh, effort on this at, at ITI in, in, in London, the European conference. And, um, you know, I was really, I was really impressed. You know, obviously we did the live podcast there and we interviewed the Claims Village uh I was going to say claims village people. Uh, <laughs> uh, not quite that. Yeah, you know, the claims village um, idea I thought was really smart. You know, if you're a buyer of technology related to the claim space, it was very visible. You could come in and then essentially you could do the rounds and, and talk to all the relevant um, technology providers that you might want to talk to. 
I suppose, you know, we're that was in Q1, we're, we're tail end of Q2 now. What was the feedback from that, really? And, and how did you find it as an experience? Um, did it deliver on what you were hoping for? And then, you know, feedback from your sort of fellow technology providers in the space. Have we seen any kind of ROI on that? Um, I'm intrigued yeah. to kind of see the impact of that. So, um, yeah, there's, so there's an African proverb which uh, says it takes a village to raise a child. Um, and in the same way, I think sometimes it, it takes a village um, to, to raise an insure tech um, or to raise insurance. So um, I spoke with Claims Village names, but I, what I found, one of the challenges for insure techs, obviously, is they want to gain exposure, uh, but the conferences themselves are incredibly expensive uh, and beyond often beyond reach. Uh, equally, there's a high degree of um, uncertainty around the real return on investment. Mm. The idea behind our Claims Village is that we would put together a destination at Europe's largest InsureTech conference. And uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was on brand. It was, a, you know, it was the largest um, band uh, pavilion in the, in the exhibition. And we used it to showcase nine other InsureTechs who were applying the use of AI to improve the insurance claims process. And by creating a destination within the um, event, what it did was it, it helped to qualify who came into that destination, that area. And so everybody that came in, the whole design was basically to attract people that had an interest in claims. Um, and that's exactly what, what happened. And, and when they came into the village, they immediately felt at ease and were able to have uh, really open conversations with with those uh, nine nine insurtechs, and what it did was it it meant that we created more and better quality conversations. And the feedback from all of the tech partners that were part of the village was that it was their best event this year. Um, and then um, so we're looking to now scale that concept. And because what we were able to do effectively was by using our position as the glue, if you like, and to curate a set of tech partners. We're able to build something very powerful, but actually halve the cost to our InsureTech partners of being part of the conference. That means that they could actually exhibit uh, now to a conference that previously they couldn't be at. I mean, that's vital. Um, or it means they can actually now attend twice as many exhibitions uh, in Europe, across Europe and the US than they would have been able to have envisaged uh, previously. So we're looking, we're now scaling that. And um, it's a, you don't have to be an official tech partner of Claim Technology to be part of one of our delegations, uh, but we are very much interested in how we can create better outcomes uh, for vendors um, at uh, conferences um, like InsureTech Insights. What's the next conference you've got lined up? Have you got any specific conferences that you're gonna sort of use this approach on? Uh, well, we're, we're currently, um, I suppose it's the usual suspects. I think some of the must-attend events of the DIA events in, in Europe, there's the InsureTech Insights Conference that just happened in New York, um, the Insurance Innovators Conference in, in London. So we're taking soundings now from, uh, from InsureTechs to say which of the events you really want to be at. Um, I Love Claims, uh, another great example of an organisation uh, that's uh, helping um to raise the profile of of uh, claims in the in the industry and um so yes i mean anybody you know if you're out there sort of and you're looking at creating an event or you'd like to create a bespoke event and uh you know we'd love to work with you on awesome 
we love an event we're big proponents of it it's, it's, it's just nice um i think we're so starved of seeing people over the pandemic that um it's still kind of it's still a lovely thing to see people face to face and and, and really kind of have that and, and i think the, the sense of community is important particularly when we're talking about entrepreneurial journeys and you know aside from the kind of financial impact and the you know being more cost effective and roi um that village principle of, of taking a village to race and insure tech i think is important because you know sharing stories and challenges is as much part of kind of helping each other as achieving a mutual sale i would think um so i will um well actually we've i, I knew we'd do this because I, I knew i'd get I, I could talk to you for hours about uh close and close uh, technology so um michael I'll, I'll finish by saying you know other than more conferences more claims village what's on the slate for the rest of this year any sort of product announcements any kind of uh geographic growth um what's going to have you occupied for the rest of the year yes uh, that's a good question um um so in terms of product uh we're very excited about a, a strategic partnership that we have uh with open dialogue um who focus on developing conversational ai and so uh, we're going to be launching a major product update for our customer self-serve capability that combines um, uh, the best of what claim technology has to offer in terms of self-serve experience together with conversational AI. Um, on the uh, geographies uh, side, uh, we're looking to now expand beyond, beyond the UK. Um, and so we're looking at our second uh, country. Um, I think that's likely to be uh, the US um, uh, as well as in, in Europe, uh, Germany, and, uh, Germany and Switzerland. Exciting, exciting stuff. Um, well, Michael, thank you so much for coming back. Um, thank you. After the Plains Village. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you very much.